awesome, how fair, as we have sung already this morning, His Son, Jesus the Christ, is. I am not by nature a morning person. I can uh, get up early, as I did this morning, when I need to. And you may be that way, or maybe you're someone who just jumps out of bed in the morning, and uh, uh, life is rosy, and the sun is shining, even if it's raining. Uh, but whatever your personality is, again, I hope that that our minds now can be focused upon God and upon His Word. I'll have some more uh, introductory comments to make, uh, probably at the uh, worship hour this morning. One thing that preachers don't like too much is clocks. <laughs> and so I'm on a time schedule, especially uh, in this session. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will not be night or will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You know, in a very real sense, we always live in the presence of God, don't we? As the psalmist David reminded us there in Psalm 139, that there is no place that we can go in this physical universe that God has created that we can get away from God. There is no dark place. There is no deep place. There is no high place. There is no place that we can go in this life where we can escape God. As David rightly wrote in that psalm, wherever we go, God is there with us. But in another sense, I believe that we come into the presence of God in a very special way, in a unique way, when we come before Him as God's people in worship. And it is this second sense that we're going to think about this morning for a few minutes in this session. I want us to reflect on what the psalmist wrote about coming before the Lord. And we're going to stay here in the Psalms, but you might want to turn in your Bible to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. I notice so I've had the opportunity, not as much time as I would have liked, but had the opportunity the last uh, couple of weeks to uh, watch several sermons. I know that uh, you're doing in some of your uh, sermons some studies through the Psalms, and that is, that is great. I love the Psalms. Uh, they're just so rich with meaning. And they really, as I was talking to Brent yesterday at, at the pizza place, they, they really open a window, I think, to God for us that maybe the rest of the scriptures do not do. And they tell us a lot about God, but they also tell us a lot about ourselves. So let's read here Psalm 100. By the way, I use PowerPoint probably 98, 99% of the time, but I don't have one in this particular session uh, sometimes I think it's good for us to just hone our listening skills and really listen to the Word of God. Let's read here in Psalm 100. It's a very short psalm, but I think it says a lot to us. Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. As we look at this very brief psalm, what I want us to do this morning is to talk first of all about how we come before the Lord, as I believe that's where the psalmist begins here in Psalm 100. And then we're going to talk about why we come before the Lord. First of all, how we come before the Lord. If you look here at verses 1 and 2, I believe the psalmist tells us that we come before God, especially in this sense. Again, we're always living before Him. We're always living in His presence. But as we come before the Lord as His people to worship and honor Him, we come with a joyful gladness in song and in service. Notice again verses 1 and 2. The psalmist begins here by saying, Shout joyfully to the Lord. Serve the Lord, verse 2, with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. The psalmist begins Psalm 100 by inviting all the earth. You have to remember, I don't know exactly who wrote Psalm 100, but I assume it would have been a Jewish person, an Israelite, someone who was of the the special chosen people of God. But here is a psalmist at the very outset of this psalm inviting all the earth. So he is inviting, I think, even those who are Gentiles that the Jews kind of look down upon as being Second-class citizens, not not as good as they were, not as special as they were. But I think in inviting all the earth, he's not only inviting non-Jewish people to come and to joyfully praise the Lord, but he's inviting the animate and the inanimate creation as well. We don't have time this morning to look at this particular psalm, but you might turn in your Bible or at least in your mind to Psalm 148. Psalm 148, verses 1 through 12, we have at least maybe one or two Uh, songs that we sing on a regular basis that just talks about the whole creation praising the Lord about the the sun and the moon, the stars, the fire, the hail, the, uh, the kings of the earth, the common people of the earth, men and women alike. And the psalmist is inviting all of creation to shout joyfully to Jehovah God. While all people can now come before God through His Son, Jesus Christ, We're going to focus this morning on how we who are God's people come before Him. As we are singing songs of praises as we've already done this morning to the Lord, as we are serving Him in worship, the psalmist says that we must do so with hearts, notice again, that are joyful. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Come before the Lord with joyful singing. That that we are full of joy, we are full of gladness. Maybe you are this way. I was sitting up here. I couldn't see your faces this morning as we were singing. But I have known some Christians. I'm thinking of a, a brother that has passed away a number of years ago. Uh, before we lived in, in Kentucky, we lived in Jasper, Alabama, close to Birmingham. And there was a, uh, a brother there, a uh, very large man, probably 6'4", 275, 300 pounds. But he and his wife loved to sing, and he loved to lead singing. In fact, over North Alabama, he, he would, uh, congregations around that area would call on him when they would have a singing for him to come and lead them in song, worship to God. But he was always smiling. <laughs> Didn't matter what was going on in his life. Uh, he, he just always had that joyful spirit in his wife sitting in the pew. She was always smiling. You could tell that they weren't putting on some outward face that looked good to everybody else, but that they really meant that. They were singing from their hearts. There was joy. There was gladness truly in their hearts. 
I want us to turn over to another psalm just very quickly this morning as we look at Psalm 16 at the end of this psalm. This is very much a messianic psalm applicable to Jesus Christ. But notice the very last part, verse of this psalm, Psalm 16 and verse 11. The psalmist here says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. While this text again is ultimately, I believe, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, And surely when we come to the end of Psalm 16, it is pointing to the reunion that Christ is going to have with his father in heaven after he has done his work here on earth. Surely this truth of finding fullness of joy in God's presence applies to us now as we live in the presence of God, as we as God's people gather together and we come into his presence to worship him as we are even assembled to do this morning. I know all of you are familiar with some New Testament instructions about us worshiping God and singing to God, especially over in Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 18 beginning. Here Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But here's this, this thought again at verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. A part, I believe, of being filled with the Spirit is that, or rather being filled with the Spirit is a prerequisite, I think. That's kind of the foundation, the starting point for us uh, coming before the Lord, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And as we might remember from Galatians chapter 5, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says to us there in that passage that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And I think the psalmist here at Psalm 100 at at the beginning of this psalm is, telling us that that joy needs to come out in our song and in our service to God. But secondly, and connected to that, as we come back to this psalm that we're looking at this session, Psalm 100, the the psalmist also says to us here at verse 4 that we come before the Lord with praise, with thanksgiving, and blessing. Again, verse 4, he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. As God's special chosen people today through His Son, Jesus Christ, we have access to His presence. I believe that's what the psalmist is, the picture he's trying to to portray to us here. That, That we can enter the gates of God, as it were, that we can enter the courts of God. That we have access through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we have access as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2 to the to the end of that chapter, verse 18 or 19 or so, that we can, Jew and Gentile can both come before God and we can be a part of his family, his household, through his spirit. We can all come. But we must enter his holy presence by blessing his great and good name with praise and with thanks. I think we, we think about blessing God, about praising God, about thanking God in prayer oftentimes, but we also do that in song as well. Many of our songs are Songs of praise, as we've already sung this morning. They are songs of thanksgiving. They are songs songs in which we are blessing the name of our great God. Uh, Notice here another psalm. Maybe you have to turn a page or so in your Bible. But in Psalm 96 at verse 1, I believe the psalmist captures this same thought. Psalm 96 verse 1 beginning. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. 
When we bless his name, we are, we are singing of the great salvation that God has richly given to us, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. We're singing of the majestic glory of God. We're singing of the wonderful deeds that God has done in the past. Maybe we're thinking about that individually, personally, about how God has blessed us or the work that God has done in our life. Or maybe we're just thinking about what we know from scripture or what we know from history about all that God has done in the past, but all that God is doing today, and then even thinking about all the wonderful things God has promised in the future. Again, going to the New Testament as we think about these two passages or, or two among several that talk about our singing to God in Colossians chapter three. Colossians three, notice here, as we think about especially thanksgiving, notice the end of verse 15 is, as Paul says that the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. He says there, be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. Some versions say with grace, but singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then even verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. All of these instructions that I'm sure many of us know very well, we could quote these verses. <laughs> But thanksgiving, 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 be thankful. Come with thankfulness in your heart. A heart that is not only full of joy, but a heart that is full of thanksgiving for who God is and for what God does. By the way, I, I, this is a whole, would have to be a whole nother lesson or two. <laughs> but these passages in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, I, I don't personally think that they are just talking about what we are doing this morning. <laughs> But, but anytime we are together with other Christians, these are, are in the one another passages in the New Testament. Anytime we are together with other Christians, this ought to be our attitude. And even for us as individuals, as we worship God from day to day, individually in our, our own lives, we need to come with these attitudes. So when we come before the Lord and worship, let's do so with a joyful gladness. Whatever our day has been like up until that point, a joyful gladness that results in praising and thanking and blessing our great God. So as we think about how we come before the Lord, then I want us to think secondly this morning about why. And I believe the why is just as important as the how. Notice back in Psalm 100, uh, I, I believe the psalmist here gives us three reasons and we'll have to go through these very quickly. But number one, he says that we come before the Lord with a joyful gladness and thanksgiving in our hearts because it is God who has made us. The beginning of verse three the psalmist says, know that the Lord himself is God. And then the middle part of that verse, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. The psalmist, I believe, is now making certain that we know that it is the Lord. <laughs> it is Yahweh. It is the, the being that is self-existent, the one that is eternal, that the psalmist is describing for us that he is God. He, he is Elohim. He is the eternal triune deity. Given that the word Elohim is the Hebrew word that Moses used to describe the God who created us, if you think back to Genesis chapter 1, all throughout that passage there, as we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's made more clear to us when we come down to verses 26 and 27, when the writer there tells us that, that God created us, or he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then it goes on to tell us in the next verse that he made 
man, male and female in his image, that there God talking about let us, we understand that, I hope, to mean the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But it's interesting that the psalmist follows up as he uses that same word that Moses used back in Genesis 1. It is interesting that the psalmist follows up his statement Uh, follows up his statement that the Lord is God with the truth that he is the one who made us. I wonder maybe if he is trying to take our minds back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and to remind us we're not the creator, we are the created. And so since some or maybe even much or most of our current culture doesn't believe that truth, there are a lot of people that are walking around us every day, people that we interact with at work, at school, uh, in our neighborhoods, on the ball field, wherever we, we are, that, that are just worshiping the creature rather than the creator. You might remember the words of the Apostle Paul as he described the, the culture, the world in which he lived in Romans chapter 1 and at verse, uh, let's see what verse it is, 25. Uh, he says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. People just get to a point as Paul makes the, the, the point there in Romans 1, kind of interestingly, as we've already talked about this morning from Psalm 100 about coming before God with thankfulness in our hearts, that he says there that they got to a place where they did not honor God as God or they did not thank God. <laughs> they were a thankless people. And the result of that is when you read on down here, as we just read from verse 25 of Romans 1, that that they get to a point where they are no longer even acknowledging God. They're no longer serving and worshiping the one who created them. They are worshiping themselves or they are worshiping things perhaps that God created or even that man created that's in our physical world. But the psalmist back in Psalm 100 is reminding us here at verse 3 that we did not make ourselves. Maybe that seems like a very basic truth for us in this audience this morning. I hope we all know that and believe that God is our creator. But our world today, it seems like does not, for the most part, at least in our society, does not believe that or we don't act like we believe it. It is God who has made us. I'm uh, reading from this morning the New American Standard Version. Uh, That's the version that I've, grew up with uh, as a kid and have used to preach out of. But I like to look at other translations. Uh, The Old American Standard Version, if anybody's reading from that this morning, the ESV, the NIV, I translate here at the middle part of verse 3, not as the New American Standard does. They don't say not we ourselves, but they say that we need to know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, for we are his. I don't know that much about this particular text to know which translation is more accurate, which is the better translation. But I think both of those thoughts fit. We, we are not the ones who have created ourselves. But if it should be here that in verse 3, that it is he who has made us and we are his, that the psalmist is then calling our attention to the fact that we are all his people. We belong to him. So he is the creator, we are the created. Therefore, we come before him in worship. Secondly, why we worship God? Because he recreated us. The last part of verse 3, the psalmist goes on to say here that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, to consider what we just said, to consider that that God, this eternal, self-existent, transcendent being, 
that he created us in his image, that's amazing enough. That, that ought to just blow our minds if we really think about it. But then to consider that because sin came into the world and because all of us, if we've lived long enough, got to the point in our lives where we chose to sin against our creator, to consider then that God has recreated us, who are Christians, who are his children, in the image of his son is even more amazing. Back to the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. We won't turn there and read this passage. But Paul says there as he begins Colossians chapter 3 uh, that, that uh, we are a new creation, that uh, our old self has died, that our life is hidden with Christ, that we need to put off the old self and put on the new self. That's a continual process. But he tells us there that we have been recreated to look like Jesus Christ, to look like the one, the image of the one who created us. And thanks be to God, certainly, that God's grace is greater than our sin. Doesn't matter what sin we have committed, how many sins for how long, God's grace is more than sufficient to cover that. But that spiritual recreation in Christ, that is what makes us his special people today. That is what makes us his sheep you might be thinking this morning about Psalm 23 and that, that image of the shepherd and the sheep that the Lord is my shepherd. And then in the New Testament, what Jesus said in John chapter 10, a good part of that text there about he being the, the good shepherd uh, of our souls and we being his sheep that he knows us and we know him, we know his voice. He knows us intimately, that, that closeness, that relationship there. Because we have been cre recreated in Christ we are the sheep. He is the shepherd. Certainly, as we've already mentioned this morning, and I think as a psalmist, again, at the outset of this psalm is encouraging all the earth to come and shout joyfully to the Lord. While all people are God's people because they are all created in his image, we who are recreated in Christ, we are his special people. We are his chosen people. We are his covenant people. And therefore, we come before him in worship. Thirdly and finally this morning, we come before God in worship because of who He is. Because God is good, because God is loving, because God is faithful. At the very end of Psalm 100 at verse 5, here the psalmist reminds us of those things. He says, for the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. You know, as we read through the Bible, passages like 1 John chapter 1 uh, tells us that, or 1 John chapter 4, I believe it is, tells us that God is love. Not just that our God that we are serving, that we are worshiping today, that He is loving or that He shows love, but the Bible makes it clear that God is love. God, God is the very essence of love. God is the very definition of love. God, God is the very origin or source of love. You can't have love without God. The Bible tells us in passages like Isaiah chapter 6 and that great scene where, where Isaiah is coming before the Lord and he bows down and he realizes he, he is totally unworthy to be in God's presence. He is a sinful man, even though he's a righteous prophet or righteous messenger of God. But he says there, holy, 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 or the angels, the heavenly hosts around there as if to really emphasize that, that characteristic of God, that God is holy. It's not just that God does holy things, but God is holy. That is who he is. 
So the psalmist is telling us here at verse 5 of Psalm 100 that the Lord is good. Not just that the Lord does good things, but the Lord is good. Uh, Psalm 119, if you want to turn there for just a moment at verse 68. Uh, this, this is a, a number of years ago. I, I took a whole, I think it was a whole quarter uh, class, and we just studied Psalm 119. It's 176 verses long. And there's a lot of repetition in this psalm. But this psalm really talks about the psalmist and his relation to the Word of God. But not just his knowing the Word of God or living the Word of God in his life, but knowing the one who wrote the Word. Knowing uh, the author of the Word of God, God himself. Psalm 119 and verse 68 says, You are good, speaking of God, and do good. For some reason or another, since that particular class, a lot of times in my own personal prayers, I've incorporated that phrase into my prayers. Because it's a good way, especially in the morning when when we start out the day to think about God, to remember that God is good and because God is good, then he does good. But this is the very essence, the the core of who God is. But, But more than that, God is good all the time and God does good all the time. Whether we believe that or not, whether we realize that or not, whether we think about that as we should or not, whether we appreciate that, as we've already thought about thankfulness to the Lord this morning, whether we really appreciate that God is good and God does good. Um, You know, it can be very easy for us when things are going well in our lives (laughs) to say, yes, God is good, or when God has answered some prayer that we've been very fervent about for maybe weeks or months, and he answers it in the way that we're wanting him to answer that, then we'll tell someone God is good. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I think we should. But what about those times when God says no to our prayers? Or when God says not now to our prayers? There, there's something better I have in, in mind in store for you in the future that you can't yet see. Do we still say God is good? And God does good? Well, he shows his goodness, as the psalmist mentions to us here in verse 5. By his loving kindness, I, I like that particular word in the New American Standard. I know it's not a word that we use today. Several other versions, the King James, New King James Version uses the word mercy here. The ESV uh, says uh, steadfast love. God shows his goodness by his loving kindness, by his faithfulness. But that word loving kindness really is describing for us God's, again, God's character, who God is. It is talking to us about God's faithful, everlasting love to his covenant people. Yes, God loves everybody because we've all been created in his image. It's just like those of us who are parents that have children. We, if we're good parents at all, if we're trying to live according to God's word at all, we love all of our children. And we try as best we can to not be partial in showing love to one, one or the other but, but here, I believe, again, the psalmist is thinking in this psalm especially about God's covenant people, Israel then, and for us today, those who are followers of Christ. The psalmist seems to say as much uh, by connecting this word with the word faithfulness, that his loving kindness and his faithfulness is available to all generations. You don't have to turn to this passage, but uh, just maybe in your mind, or you can look at this at some other point, Psalm 136, the the psalmist of that particular psalm, I think sums it up best with the constant refrain there in Psalm 136 when he says, for his loving kindness, his mercy, his steadfast love, 
is everlasting. Every one of those 26 verses in that psalm ends with that particular phrase. As if to continually call our mind back to the character of God. And so this is who God is. God is eternally good. God is eternally loving. God is eternally faithful. And therefore, we as the created, we come before him in worship. Well, as we close this session, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do do you know the God of Psalm 100? I mean, do you really know him? I realize here on earth, our our knowledge of God, it's a lifetime. It's a journey. We're, We're never going to know the fullness of God until we get there in the presence of God in that unique way when we get to his home. Is God, the God of 100, your Lord? Is he really the master of your life? And are you coming before him in worship because of who he is? And are you coming before him in worship with the right heart, with the right attitude? Well, I think my time is up this morning. I appreciate, uh, again, the invitation to come and to be with you today. But as we continue to to worship God and think about Him this morning. I hope that this will set the stage for us, for our hearts, our minds to be in the right place. So we'll be dismissed to our classes at this time.